I'm Ed Peters, and speaking for Pastor Henry Carter and Renewal Singers, I welcome you to another broadcast of What's New. We return today for one more look at Paul's words in Romans chapter 5. We have seen from the 19th verse of this chapter, where Paul sums up his argument on federal headship, that Adam's one act of disobedience made all men sinners, not just possessors of a sin nature but guilty of the act of sin. Christ's obedience, his death and resurrection, makes it possible for God to declare righteous the sinner who believes in him. Now, this brings us to the final verses of this chapter, verses 20 and 21. And Paul writes as follows. The Ten Commandments were given so that all could see the extent of their failure to obey God's laws. But the more we see our sinfulness, the more we see God's abounding grace forgiving us. Before, sin ruled over all men and brought them to death. But now, God's kindness rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord.
Jesus walks with peace, the hungry and the lost, offering water from a The claims of God's righteousness are fully met in the death of Christ. The kingdom is fully and firmly established on the cross of Christ. All other ground is sinking sand, as the song goes. The believing sinner now has eternal life by being united to the last Adam, the raised and glorified Savior. This makes possible the sanctification of the saved sinner which is the theme of chapter 6, where we will be going on our next study. Now, here to bring us our study for today is Pastor Henry Harder. What makes sin, sin? Or rather, who determines what is sin? The answer is that God does. Sin is not sin because man says so. Sin is not sin just because it hurts another human being. God has determined what is sin. His word, the Bible, spells that out by details and by principles. I say again, God determines what is sin, not man. God also forgives sin by His grace. He doesn't overlook it, but He deals with it in Jesus Christ. Paul, at the end of Romans 5, has emphasized the grace of God. He said, Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. That's a logical corollary, but that's very near to dangerous territory. It appears as though there is no reason for Christians to be morally good. It would seem that all could increase sinning so that God's supply of grace would increase. Continual sin brings continual grace, so sin makes God look better. The more we sin, the more God is glorified. The Christian is free to sin. We call that antinomianism, that is, against law. That kind of heretical thinking has been with us since Paul's day. It is still with us. 
I have just recently met several persons who argue just that way. It is a way of justifying sin. One person told me that God had forgiven it all anyway, so it didn't matter what they did. Another said that God, because of His grace, would forgive any sin we might commit, so He would just continue to sin. Here, as in most other areas, there are two extremes. Among some, there is an overt preoccupation with sin. We fear it so much, are so concerned that we won't sin that it ruins any peace and joy that the Christian ought to have. On the other side are those I've already mentioned, who are too little preoccupied with sin and who practice it with impunity. I read that Gregory Rasputin, the Russian monk of the Romanov family, taught that salvation came through the repeated experiences of sin and repentance. Those who sinned most received most forgiveness, he said. It feels good to be forgiven. So the more you sin, the more you repent, and the more you can experience the joy of forgiveness. It is said that grace frees a person to sin. The Bible's point is that grace is indeed freedom, but it's freedom not to sin. It's freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. Some of Paul's opponents had misconstrued the gospel to say that, let us do evil that good may result. But here were some of Paul's converts who went right along with the opponents and said we should go on sinning that grace may increase. They acted as though the gospel gave them license to do whatever they wished. Evidently, such a view was widespread. In Corinth, there was a man who openly practiced incest. In the name of Christian liberty, that was condoned in the church. In fact, they actually boast about it. They had the liberty to practice incest. Paul said that man should be excommunicated. Now, what's the answer to this problem? Is sin a serious matter or isn't it? Can a believer or follower of Jesus willingly continue sinning so that God's grace and God's forgiveness may be given an opportunity to be displayed and bring God glory? Can a Christian flippantly go on continually sinning, expecting to be continually forgiven? It seems appalling to me that such questions need even be considered. But that attitude has been and is prevalent among Christians. So Paul faces it and speaks to it. Usually, the human solution is to regulate sin with laws and rules. Humans think that legalism is needed to keep liberty or freedom in check. In order for freedom not to get out of hand, we say we need laws. This is exactly what those early Jewish Christians did. They imposed do's and don'ts upon converts. But that is not the solution in the Christian life. That only exasperates the problem. The more rules you have, the more rules you need. That's how the early Jews protected the law. They proposed more and more and more laws. If we're going to live by law, then we need a law to cover every situation. That only leads to an infinity of laws. Paul's own experience had taught him that keeping all the laws in the world did not bring pardon and peace with God. No, legalism is not the answer to libertinism. Paul says more laws is not the answer. 
Paul suggests two solutions. The first is found in this chapter, chapter 6, verses 2 through 14, and the second from verse 15 on. The first answer calls for an understanding of faith and grace that leads to a radical transformation of life. When men and women receive Christ as Savior, they receive His life. That's a radical inner transformation. A new creation has taken place. That person has received a new nature, one that will delight in producing the fruit of the Spirit. This is not impractical optimism. This is practical truth. It is this that Paul now develops in chapter 6, verses 2 through 14. This radical inner change in a person is witnessed to by baptism. The believer in Christ is crucified with Christ and is raised with him to a new life. From glory to glory he's changing me, changing me. Changing me, his likeness and image to perfect in me the love of God shown to the world. For he's changing, changing me from earthly things into heavenly, his likeness and image to perfect in me. The love of God shown to the world, for He's changing, changing me from earthly things into heavenly, His likeness and image to perfect in me. The love of God shown to the What's new is a radio production of Creative Encounters. Our mailing address is Post Office Box 848, Chapter California, 93263, USA.